All right, so like I said, we're going to start things differently. Uh, I was talking to a coworker this week. He just got his doctorate at Lipscomb. And we're talking about, so so often at Trader Joe's, we ask people that come through the checkout line, and we ask the question, you know, like, how are you doing, or, or what's going on, or, you know. And usually people will answer, but usually uh, a lot of times it's something negative or something frustrating. Uh, and we talked about this last week. A lot of times uh, we have this ability to latch onto our, the negative things that happen. And so this past week was just a really, it was a very discouraging, really difficult week for me. Uh, work was just really hard and difficult. I had a hard time like wanting to go to work. And then uh, my baby, her, her back molars are coming in. And so she is just having a really bad attitude all the time. And she has also discovered this new strategy. So when she doesn't get her way, you try to pick her up and she just goes limp which I wouldn't think would be an effective strategy, but if you've ever tried to pick up someone that goes limp, it becomes very hard. It's like picking up a jellyfish. They just move all about, and she flops all over the place while still screaming at you. Um, so I just had this kind of weekend. I was just I was really frustrated and really uh, just discouraged about life. And then I talked to a coworker, and he said, there's this really cool thing that he learned. And it's called appreciative inquiry. And so instead of asking people like, hey, how are you doing? And people can respond with, uh, like, I'm all right, like, this happened or this bad thing happened, you ask people this question and I want to ask and I want to give you guys a chance to just think about it and then we'll share a couple, but instead of asking how are you doing today or how was your week, I want to ask you this question, when did you feel most alive this week? When this week did you feel most alive? And just think about that for a minute. Think about throughout the week, just pick like maybe it's just 30 minutes when you're like, man, if life was like this the entire time, I would feel so great. So when did you feel most alive? Just think about it for a minute. Okay, before we get to the actual examples, how does this question make you think differently or feel differently? And one thing too, I know it's sometimes difficult. There, when I teach, I seldom think that there are right or wrong answers. What I'm looking for is dialogue and the way you think. Because so often, whenever we interact with each other, you will say things that I then carry with me for the rest of the week that are insightful and brilliant. So there's not right or wrong answers. There's the way that you perceive and understand the world. So what I'm looking for is the way like you think about something or the way you experience something. So when you just think about this question, how is this question different? How does it make you think differently than perhaps just how are you today? 
detail and help just going off here and seeing. So it, it maybe pauses a little bit. There's a little bit more reflection to it than just simply like yeah. knee, knee jerk response. Cool. What else? You gotta just, you have to look for a specific situation instead of just being like my general mood. Because you can have a good a good hour, but still like have a bad day. So of course it's a focus on that one specific hour versus a general like just mad day. Do you find that it's harder too to to find that one moment? It depends. Like, probably not for most people because you just it would stick out once you like, retrospectively think about it. Do you think we like naturally kind of allow this to like slide away though, in the like minutia of everything else like piles on top of it? Throughout the day, yeah. Okay, that's really cool. Let's have like one more, one more thought. Yeah. I think it's difficult because I feel like I'm trying to look for some like big banging situation, but it can it doesn't really have to be. Like very that's right we uh do you feel that in society today especially that we have to have really big grand moments for them to be considered good and a lot of times really beautiful moments are just simple and in some ways kind of ordinary but then when you look at it more closely you're like oh wait this was actually really beautiful or kind of a big deal that's a really good point okay so let's just take what are, what are a couple of your thoughts i just want to hear like two or three what were the things this week that were you felt most alive? We had tacos Friday night and they were incredible. Mm. Where did you guys get tacos at? It's a place called El Berlinse in Hendersonville. Just kind of like hole in the wall taco place, but arguably the best tacos in Nashville. Those are the best. The hole in the wall places are the best. Those are some of the best tacos I've ever had. All right, I'm going to have to check it out. I love a good taco. Uh, when we went to St. Augustine, we found a place like that. It was just this little hole in the wall. And then we went back like four times throughout the week, so it was so good. That's awesome. Okay, let's get like two more moments where you felt really alive. I'm staying with the family for the weekend, and they have lots of children. They go here, but um, their youngest is named uh, Jane Claire, and she's like a year and a half or something. And this morning, she looked at me from across the room, and she was like, <laughs> and she like made me come over to where she was and sit on the couch, and she wouldn't let anyone else sit next to me. <laughs> oh, except for her. that's adorable. I think children have a way of unlocking that kind of good moment. Uh, lots of times, I just see kids at a grocery store, even just they do something, even if it's just like their boldness of staring at you the entire time they like pass you in an aisle. There's just something about them. They don't kind of know the social. Um, quirks we place on so they'll be like you come sit here and then no one else sits with you like I've got you that's beautiful all right one more then we'll kind of move on a little bit one thing I like Andrew's point it doesn't have to be big it doesn't have to be grand it can be something very small I was late to work one day and I worked down 840 so it's just like a wide open interstate usually pretty safe to go about 90 down there so I was doing just that and uh, a state trooper like flew up on me with his lights on I'm thinking I'm gonna get pulled over but it goes right past me so <laughs> the next 30 minutes or so I felt pretty alive I'd say <laughs> that's really good those are always really good moments when you're like it wasn't me yeah. like, it's no, I was ready to pull over like I got my blinker on I'm like yep yeah. and he goes right past me <laughs> better. that's really good I like that well thank you for participating with me in that we're gonna start starting class with something like that where we just have a moment to reflect or think about. 
So we're talking about the hero's journey. So the first week we kind of introduced it, and then the first stage of the hero's journey is the hero's call, where the hero is like alerted to some great adventure. And then the second one is usually the refusal of the call, where they reject it, they refuse it. And then if at some point they get over the refusal or they do accept the call, they skip that second stage, like, yeah, I'm up for an adventure, let's go. There comes this point where like they have to meet the mentor. They have to have some sort of mentor or trainer or like mystical sage or fairy godmother, like somebody that's like, I'm going to give you some gift, some ability, some tool. So when you guys think about like some of your favorite movies or favorite books, who would you put in that level of like the mentor, the person that like trains them or gets them ready? Like famous mentors in like cinema or books. Yeah. He's like the, the classic. If you're ever in doubt about questions for this class, like Star Wars is like the quintessential hero's journey. So you that's can just make. Like, that's why I'm like, that was the first thing that popped into my head just because it's, it's, you know, the hero's journey. It's like the, the little, you know, moisture farmer on Tatooine, you know, becoming. The hero of the galaxy, right? Exactly. Like, yeah, he goes from nothing to this giant epic quest. And like, yeah, Obi-Wan comes along. And what does Obi-Wan give him? What is the, th the he gives him the lightsaber and not just like, he doesn't just like pull out his backpack. He's like, here's a lightsaber. He's like, this is your father's lightsaber. You know, like there's weight to it, a backstory to it. You know, there's this cool idea. What other things do you guys think of? What other are some of your favorites? Other mentors, other examples. Yoda, that's a, we can just stay with Star. Yoda's another good example. Yoda. Um, other thoughts? Don't, don't think too hard about this. So let me think of any character that encounters someone that offers them help in some way, that forms a relationship with them. This is like the essential of a mentor. So think about this throughout. Who are characters that receive help from someone that is maybe just a little bit ahead of them? David in the Bible yeah that's a good we can just go back to the Bible examples of it any others it are these is it hard to think of examples of this yeah okay um, so the thing about let me ask this then why do you think the mentor is so important in the story. Instead of thinking of examples of them, why is the mentor so necessary in the beginning of the hero's journey? Why is it one of the first stages? Why do you think we need that off the bat? Because it's something big, something grand they're called into? So we need someone that has some wisdom, maybe some experience. Have you ever felt when you started, have any of you ever started a new job and felt completely unprepared and inadequate for it? That feeling? In that moment, what did you want? What would you have given like anything for? Some help. Some, help, some experience? 
I love that scene in The Matrix where they can just like upload software to their mind and they can just get skills immediately. So they just like give him the program and he goes, I know Kung Fu, like that. Like wouldn't that be so awesome if you could just pick, I want to know Spanish and you can just like upload it, like I now speak fluent Spanish. Like, but that's just not the way life works. So we have to have these examples where someone like gives us wisdom or gives us experience. And one of the main reasons, especially with the mentors, what we're looking for is relationship. We want to know like we have a relationship with somebody. There's somebody ahead of us that cares about us and is taking this interest in us. So when I was a senior in high school, uh, I played ice hockey, and I think I've told you this before, but uh, we got to play in the city championship game, and I was goalie at this time, and we were playing the team that had the number one goalie, and I was the number two goalie, so it was just like epic clash. Uh, and I remember like, there was just this intense rivalry between the two of us, and so the game started. I remember thinking, like, I'm going to just shut this team down. Like, they're going down. And they drop the puck. The other team gets possession, skates out, and scores immediately. Within the first 30 seconds, I remember thinking, like, not the best start. But, like, we'll get ahead of this. Like, we'll stay on. So the rest of the game, like, we fight. And it's, like, 1-0 the other team. And then with three minutes left, one of our players scores. And we, like, tie 1-1. And it just goes crazy. Um, and we're really pumped, really excited. And then we got to overtime. And the way overtime works in hockey is it's sudden death. So first team to score wins. So we call a timeout. We go to overtime. We skate to the bench. And I'm just full of energy. I'm really excited. And the captain of our team looks around and goes, OK, guys, we have to win in overtime. Because if we go to a shootout, Tristan will lose. And I remember being like in the, the team huddle at this point. And I, was, and I looked at it. I was like, I'm right here, guys. Like, right here. I can hear all of this. And they're like, OK. We all agree, win in overtime because if we go to a shootout, we lose. Cool. Like, break. And I remember, like, skating back to the net thinking, like, my team has no confidence in my ability whatsoever. And so, like, we go, like, overtime goes, and then overtime ends. And there's, like, another timeout. And uh, we get to the bench, and I was, like, I had this weird sense of, like, I can do this. Like, I, I can do this. And I remember looking at my team, I was, like, guys, I feel really good at this moment. I think I can do this. And everyone on the bench was, like, good season. Like, we played hard. Like, good season. We did our best. Like, everyone had given up. And I remember just starting to feel myself, like, sink down a little bit. And my dad has this, this picture. I wish I had grabbed it. But we had, he was my geometry teacher, and he was just, like, a volunteer coach. He was a really cool guy. His name was Kevin Whittington. And I remember when I, I got to the edge, I was about to skate back to the ice. And he said, hey, Tristan, come here. And I come over. And he's kind of one of those just, like, strong, burly men, like Ron Swanson's of the world, you know, just kind of intimidating but also godlike. And uh, he grabbed me by the back of the neck and just kind of like headbutted me. And I had a helmet on and he didn't even flinch. Like it was like his bare forehead against my helmet, just like tagged. He was like, Pff. and he looked at me, he was like, you're going to do this, all right? And I remember looking at him in the eyes, just like on fire. He was like, you're going to win, okay? Now get out there and show him what you've got. I, I believe in you. You know, it's just like his mouth doesn't even move. It's just like spittle kind of flying into my head. And then he's like, oh, go get him. And I like skate back. But there's this moment of like one person believing in me. This like sense. And I remember like going to and the like shootout occurred and we, we ended up winning. It was like one of the high points of my like high school career. And my last name was Wheeler. And so people had brought bicycle wheels and like started launching them on the ice. And I remember like bicycle wheels like bouncing across the ice and like referees kind of like ducking and stuff. It was just a cool moment. I remember it's like forever. I was like, when I'm like on my deathbed and my grandkids are like asking for a story, I'll be like, did I tell you about the bicycle wheels? Like, I'm like, yes, grandfather. Like, you know, but it was just this cool moment. Like, I needed a mentor. I needed somebody that believed in me. And it couldn't just have been anybody. You need there to be this connection, this relationship. So I want to show you this picture. 
and I want to do more than just simply like look at it. So there's kind of there's there's this idea, there's two words when we think about things. So there's this idea of there's looking at something, and then there's beholding something. Okay. So Instagram is a great example of this. Instagram, you look at pictures, right? How long would you say on average do you look at any given picture on Instagram? What is the maximum amount of time you think you would spend looking at a picture on Instagram? Two seconds. Ten seconds? Two. Two seconds. Even less time. Two seconds. Does that seem fair to the rest of the class? Like pull a class two seconds for a photo on Instagram? What do you think is the longest you've ever looked at a photo on Instagram? Like the most amazing photo on Instagram? Twenty. Twenty seconds. Does that seem fair? I think that's pretty good. I think Andrew's got it. 20 seconds, right? We look at the photo, like we just scroll through the feed, right? When we get to Facebook, it's the same thing, right? Why are we doing this? Like why, why do we scroll through? What is that sense we have? Does anyone have to get back to the picture, the last picture they had seen on Instagram before they feel satisfaction? Do any of you do that? Where you're on Instagram and you like scroll through till you get to the last picture you had seen the last time you opened it up and then you're like, like okay. Yeah, like I'm caught up. I've seen everything. I've got it. So that, that's the idea of looking. You can see something and just like look at it. And then there's something completely different about beholding something. So beholding something is you take it in. It's this loving, longing gaze. You look at something. So a mom or a dad, when they have a newborn child, they behold it. There's nothing else in the universe except that child. And they just sit there and look at it. Have you ever seen a new parent? They just look at their kid. They're like, oh my gosh. Like, can you believe we made this? Look at this thing. Like, that's what they do. They just look at it like, oh, wow. And sometimes we do this. Like, we do this with art or we do this with nature. Like, that's why people will look at a sunset. They're like, look how beautiful it is. Look at all the reds and oranges. And we've seen a sunset before, but we have to behold it. We have to look at it just a little bit more deeply. So there's this difference of beholding something and looking at it. So this week, I decided to set this challenge where I would, I would keep eye contact with people until they looked away first, and it was very uncomfortable. Like, and I only did it for two days. I was like, I'll do it for two days. And, and most of the time, it makes people uncomfortable so they would look away first and it didn't have to go on too long. And I remember every time I'd just be like, thank God, you know? And this one guy came through my line at Trader Joe's, and I don't know if he was just like the most self-confident man in the world or what, but he came through my line, I was like, hey, how are you doing? He's like, I'm good. And he just kept looking at me, and I was like, please look away. And he just smiled and just was like, yeah, what's up? And I was like, just waiting for him to look away, like to scan this one item. And I was like, can you please stop looking at it? Like, I just remember thinking like, and finally he like glanced at his phone. And I was like, oh, like I could feel the sweat starting to like get it. But it's just like, but there's something really cool that happens. Like when you look at someone for like just more than five seconds, like you start to see things you didn't notice about them. You pay attention to them in a completely different way. You acknowledge that they really, truly exist. So I'm saying all of that because I don't want to just look at this painting. Like, I want us to gaze at it for a few minutes. Like, I want us to behold it. I want us to pay attention to it. And I'll tell you just like a little bit about it. This is a painting by a 15th century artist named Rubilev. And this is a painting of the Trinity. This is a painting of, this is God the Father, and this is the Son, this is the Holy Spirit. And this is the painting that, that he created. So I just want you to look at it for a minute. Just take a minute to look at it. Really look at it. And I just want you to start saying either things that you feel or things that you notice or things that you appreciate about this painting. So take a minute and then when you feel comfortable, just 
Say things you like about it, or say things that confuse you about it. Whatever it is that this painting makes you feel, there's not right or wrong answers. All right, so what do you think about it? What do you see? There clearly seems to be a whole lot of symbolism, but it's like I wouldn't be able to tell anybody what they mean, what anything means, like the hands, the circles around the head, the white, you know, I mean, like I can see these things, but I don't know what they mean or how to interpret them, but yeah, it's that's like it's full of symbolism. Yeah, that's really good. That's beautiful. I also am with you. I can tell, so there's... If there's a lot going on, but you're not really sure what all is going on. Does anybody else feel that way about it? That there's clearly there's something going on and we're not really sure? What else do you think? Things that stand out to you? Things that you like about it? Questions that it raises? You know, I wonder why their bodies are painted at such weird angles. Because you would think if it's sitting around a table, they should be in not like weird neck positions. Yeah, that is interesting. I was thinking about that too just now. Like they all are kind of just, like we don't sit that way at dinner table. We're not all like, so how was your day? <laughs> but they are. They're all kind of like leaning a little bit in some way. Anything else you guys think or see? That's true. It doesn't, you could say like a bored look to it maybe. Yes, I can see it. Any other thoughts? Any other emotions or feelings? They appear feminine to me. Yes, they do. I was thinking that too. So there's, there's really like, there's two big things I want to share. And the reason I want to show you this, because there's two really cool things. So, and as I, as I was reading about this, the color that the robes they're wearing. So he gave, he put God in gold is this idea of like eternal, transcendent. And he put Jesus in blue with this idea of the blue sky and the blue ocean, this idea of earth, the imminent. And then he put the Holy Spirit in green, this idea of energy, of life force, of giving us things. 
And then this is where I think it gets really cool. So they're all sitting around this table, this idea of fellowship, togetherness. And then some people say that right here, this little spot, there was this, uh, it looked like there was glue where a mirror had been added, which is like really weird. Like you never glue something onto a painting. But there's a theory that Rubolev had, had glued a mirror here. And I want to ask you, why would you think there would be the purpose of a mirror? What is a mirror's job? Reflect. So in theory, if there's a mirror here and you come to look at this painting, who do you see in the painting? Yourself. So what Rubilev is in theory saying is there's a fourth spot at this table where you get to sit. So what Rubilev is saying in this idea of Trinity is what Trinity invites you into is relationship. It's saying that you get to sit at the table. So you remember the story of, of Abraham when the three strangers show up? Abraham invites them to stay for a meal and rest. But Abraham does not sit with them when they eat. It's almost as if Abraham just can't imagine sitting at the same table with these three holy strangers. And yet what we see is like the progression of the New Testament of the Bible is Jesus sitting and eating with people. So the invitation is to come and sit with, to come and dine with, to share with. So I want to show you a clip from, a, from the new Karate Kid. Has anyone seen it? I really like it. There's a really cool backstory to it. Apparently it was a Jaden Smith's favorite movie, the old one. And he had said how he wished he could be the new Karate Kid. And so since his dad is Will Smith, he was like, all right, I'll just make a movie and you can be the new Karate Kid. So he just like produced it and like cast his son as the Karate Kid. And it was like perks of your dad being Will Smith, you know. Um, but there's this really cool scene. And I think it captures really well this idea of like what it looks like to have a mentor, what the mentor does. And so we're going to watch this clip.
to lift everything we do shall do it. And let's see how we put on the jacket, how we take off the jacket. And let's see how we treat people. Everything is comfortable. Okay. What time, I ask this every week, what time do we normally in class? Okay. Good. I kept time really well. Okay. So, I'm going to do two things real quick. This scene. Two things I want to share. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to determine him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Bless you. And a voice from the heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Something that I realized as I was like studying and preparing this week is, if you read through Matthew, Matthew 1, Matthew 2, Matthew 3, Jesus hasn't done anything yet. There's nothing that he's done. So he is baptized, and he comes out of the water, and then God says, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And I think there's something really beautiful and really cool here that we often pass over. But Jesus was loved, was the beloved son, before he did anything. So think about God bringing the Israelites across the Red Sea. He gives them the law after they cross the Red Sea. And I'd once heard this said is. It was so they had known they had not done anything to deserve it, but I think it was to show that God loved them before they had done anything to earn it. Because that is so often how we operate, right? We want to earn it. We want to know we're in control. We don't want to be vulnerable. And what this passage shows is that God loves you before you do anything interesting. Before you create anything awesome, you're loved. When you're helpless, you're vulnerable, you're exposed, God loves you. It's always interesting because I try to, throughout the week, just keep my eyes open and think about things. And I was talking to a coworker, and it's so amazing how you'll have this interaction. And there's this coworker, and lately she's just been getting on my nerves. We keep clashing. She kind of is a busybody, and she just was rubbing me the wrong way. And the other day, we, we kind of got pushed into one of these moments where we're forced to interact. And she started sharing a little bit of, of why she was so busy. And come to find out, like, she had been laid off at her last job, and so she worked as hard as she could to prevent herself from ever being in that situation again. And then upon hearing that story, it changed everything I knew about her. And it gave me this realization that so often everything we do is we are striving and working so hard to get what we already have. And if we could just do a pivot change of realizing we already have this, that God has already said this to each and every one of you. Like the moment you wake up, the moment you go to sleep throughout the whole day, God is saying, this is my beloved daughter whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. And this is the reoccurring thing. And then you move out of that. Instead of this idea of I have to earn this statement, this statement's already been imprinted. It's already been given. It's kind of like a birthright. It's what you've always had and always will have. So this is what I want you guys to do this week. I want you to practice two things. One, I want you to take this passage and just this last part, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I'm, I am well pleased. And if you're a girl, you can change it to daughter. But I want you to write that and put it somewhere you see it just every day. You can put it on a mirror. You can put it on the ceiling so that it's the last thing you see before you go to bed. But wherever it is, 
put it as the screensaver for your phone, but just see that every day. I want you to see that. Imagine that idea. And the second thing I want you to do is I want you to just practice paying attention to people. So you don't have to just like stare at them until they break eye contact, I know it's uncomfortable, but just take a little bit longer. Look people in the eyes for a few minutes longer. See if you notice. One of my favorite writers, he says that every day when he goes out into the world, he tries to find just one face that he can like take home and then write a story about. So he tries to pay attention and be like, what is this one face? What does this look like? What is the story of this person? He just kind of like projects to like look one person in the eye. So I want to end, we end with a benediction every week. And I love that clip from the Karate Kid where he talks about, because at the very end he goes, Kung Fu is in everything. And it just reminds me of what Paul says in Colossians. He says, Christ is all and is in all. So may you have a week where you see Christ in all things. May you guys be blessed. Have a good week. See you next week.